some passages in scripture you probably can think of in that regard. And there's a main one, and, and we are going to turn there. But I want to just talk about that in, as far as when does a, a, a body or an entity or an organization or a fellowship of churches, when do they become um, ones that you can't, you can't fellowship with? It, what, where would be that dividing line? I mentioned uh, um, the deity of Christ. Now that's one I, I picked specially because it's known as one of the five fundamentals of the faith. And in history, and I've kind of jumped around history much of this, I'm not doing anything sequential, I'm just using examples from history that help us uh, because I really wanted to focus more on the scriptures rather than on history. But in history, uh, in the 18, into 1895, a certain uh, group of people that got together for Bible conferences every year put together uh, five fundamentals of the faith. And uh, one of those was inerrancy or an inspiration. One was the deity of Christ. One was the virgin birth of Christ. Uh, one was the, the uh, resurrection and coming return of Christ. So if you, you take some of those things away, I mean, you don't really have... Uh, enough of Christianity left, like the substitutionary death of Christ. If Christ didn't die in our place, then we're still dead in our sins. And if he didn't raise from the dead, Paul says we don't have any faith to, I mean, we'd be all men most miserable because the whole of Christianity would collapse. So it has to be that way. So these, these, a list of these five fundamentals was developed in, in, in history and that actually helped people later on as liberalism became more and more prominent in the United States, particularly in seminaries and other Bible training institutions. That's why many schools that are around today were started around the turn of the century and afterwards. Faith Baptist Bible College was started in 1921. Why? Well, that was part of the, that was just in the middle of the 1920s where a lot of these, these uh, um, uh, battles really against liberalism was taking place in, in various denominations. So uh, what we're going to look at tonight is, is having these unequal alliances and the passage of scripture we'll get to eventually is 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and that talks about uh, the unequal yoke that we're talking about. And of course we always when you think of that passage, what do you think of? Oh, not supposed to marry an unsaved person. Well, yeah, and that's true, and that passage can apply to it, but that's not exactly, I mean, there's, there's more to it than just that, okay? That's a really important one, yes, but it's also talking about other types. In fact, if you look at the, the examples that he's given in that passage, there's quite a few there that are significant. But anyway, other people, uh, uh, after these battles were over and into the 1940s and early 1950s, other people were not so thrilled with uh, uh, the results of, of these men who took a stand for the fundamentals of the faith. Now remember, what we call those, they're called fundamentalists, and, and, and we identify with that. And of course, that's a, a, a term that has explosive baggage nowadays, but it's not necessarily our fault. I mean. Somebody made up that word because there's these fundamentals of the faith and he, and he was advocating, hey, we should defend these. We should stand for the fundamentals of the faith. We should fight against, well, fight not in a military sense or anything like that, but just but oppose or contend, as Jude says, with those and say, we don't, you know, our church, our fellowship of churches, our denomination, we're not going to put up with that. But those people lost those fights. The, the, the fundamentalists uh, were defeated. Now, how were they defeated? 
Did they all convert to liberalism? No, they weren't defeated that way. The denominations came together, several different ones. The, the Baptists especially and the Presbyterians were where many of these, these uh, uh, debates took place and they took place at the, the, the convention. These were convention, convention floor. So they get up and say, I think we need to adopt a, such a, a confession of faith for our denomination. And of course the liberals don't want to do that. Absolutely not. They don't want to be limited by especially a conservative confession of faith. So they would have votes and, and the conservatives were voted down. Actually a lot of times they were also shouted down too, honestly. And uh, so in the midst of all of this, you know, 20 years later, a new generation grows up and some of these, these men weren't so happy with the results of fundamentalism and they said, well, we're gonna start something new. And, uh, and they were what are now evangelicals today. I mean, that word evangelicals got baggage too and it goes back a lot earlier than the 1950s by, you know, it's several hundred years old. In fact, in Germany, if you say you're evangelical, it means you're Lutheran. That's what, that's just what, came out of the Reformation. That's the name that was um, used then. But in, in, the, in the 1950s, say, in the United States, if you're, if you're calling yourself that, you're, you're distancing yourselves from, from fundamentalists. And um, one in particular had a list of, of a couple of points here that, that he said, uh, these constitute uh, an equal alliance that, that if they had this, then you should, uh, then you start getting worried. And then you know that this, this uh, a body or a church or an organization or fellowship of churches is corrupt. And that man's name was Edward J. Carnell. Now he was part of this new uh, uh, evangelical type of, of thing that wanted to distance themselves from fundamentalists. And I mean, he had pretty good credentials as far as academic or, or educational credentials because he, he, uh, he went to Wheaton, then he went to Westminster Seminary, and then he got accepted into Harvard, Harvard Divinity School, and was walk, working on a doctorate from that. And while he was doing that, he went across town to Boston University and enrolled in another PhD from them too. So he was get, worked on and finished two PhDs, one in theology and one in philosophy. So he was a very smart man. And you know, uh, some days, uh, maybe too smart for, for uh, what happened to him. And, and, and far, uh, he, he wrote some books, and, but a lot of these books that he was trying to write to impress the liberals, they weren't impressed by him because oh, he's an evangelical. He's, you know, they just didn't, what, what these men wanted was prestige from, from the others and, and they didn't get it. He actually uh, suffered from depression, had electroshock therapy, and uh, died in a California hotel room um, from a drug overdose. And, and he, was, he was being prescribed uh, barbiturates at that time in the 1960s is when they, they prescribed these. Uh, for depression, and uh, but the coroner report really couldn't tell whether it was uh, on purpose or on accident. But anyway, he passed away at the age of 47. But this man would be representative of these uh, uh, newer evangelical people that, that have been very, very prominent, became very, very prominent, particularly in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, and 90s, and even into the present day. So he would say when the gospel is removed from an organization, from their, their official confession of faith or something, uh, then you know that uh, organization is, is uh, uh, corrupt. And then he also said that when a believer within the group had no longer freedom to preach the gospel, then you know the, the, the uh, 
organization is officially corrupt. And, and another man wrote to, to challenge that. And who was a fundamentalist? His name was Ernest Pickering. I don't know if that name ever rings a bell to any of you. I had a picture of the book he wrote on the PowerPoint. It was been really impressive for you to see it, I think. But in any case, uh, he wrote a book on biblical separatism. And uh, he was my pastor growing up in Toledo, Ohio. And he had a long and uh, uh, varied ministry over the years. But he wrote against this, and he says, well, really, uh, for the, first, the guy's first comment, uh, apostates don't really care about creeds anyway, or you know, uh, people who are, are, um, uh, away, are liberals anyway. They're liars and deceivers. They, they, can make things, they can make a doctrinal statement mean whatever they want it to mean. And the confessions are often a, a cover just to hide their agendas. Written documents don't mean anything to them. And regarding whether a, 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 group, a person in the group has no longer freedom to preach the gospel, he would say that heresy is defined in terms of what the heretic believes, not in what the heretic allows. So if someone is saying, oh, you know, uh, uh, we're allowed to still preach the gospel, well, yeah, lots of people are allowed to preach the gospel. Uh, others, liberals even, would allow that for their own purposes. Uh, because people who got converted, uh, oftentimes sent back to the liberal churches, were great church members now. Now they wanted to be active in the church and, and things. So they, they had their own purposes for it. Dr. Pickering, though, would say uh, if an organization's leadership denies the truth of the Christian faith, then it's corrupt. Even if its members or individuals are sound, a lot of these, you remember when I was talking about these denominational battles that were happening, this were these votes and things? Uh, it, was, it was really like the, the one extremes against the other extremes as far as the, 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 those who identified with fundamentalism and those identified with liberalism, both were minorities in, in, in the denomination. And what really swayed it was the moderates in the middle. And uh, which way were the moderates going to vote? Our political parties know about moderates too. Do you know they spend billions of dollars on elections now? I mean, it, not just, I mean, that's just un, uh, uh, incredibly amount. But you know, they know they're not going to, to sway uh, uh, those on each end. You know, those who vote this way always, they're always gonna still vote that way. This way, they're always, they're always gonna vote that way. They're trying to sway the moderates. And those are the ones that really uh, decide an election. And, and uh, in these denominational battles as well, those are the ones that oftentimes were conservative, actually, in their theology, but, but uh, they were uh, swayed to, to not vote in a conservative way in the denominational battle. So um, Pickering, Dr. Pickering also said, when official periodicals and media presentations promote views contrary to the Orthodox faith, uh, when official schools of the body or uh, group or fellowship of churches employ faculty members or utilize visiting speakers who teach views that are uh, different than essential Christian doctrines, and then when no effort is made by the leadership of the group or the majority of the constituency to get rid of the corrupt part parties. So those are uh, the ones that he would have corrected as far as, or added or, or replaced uh, with what J. Edward, Edward J. Carnell um, came up with. Let's look at our passage of scripture, and it's a familiar one to us. 2 Corinthians chapter, uh, chapter 6, 
and verse 14. And, and Paul's uh, uh, talking about a lot of different things in here. And, um, and uh, he, he, he just is reaching out to this Corinthian church. The Corinthian church probably is the one that gave Paul the most gray hair or caused him to lose most of his hair, I think, in, uh, in that they were just so unloving to the guy who founded them, who loved them, who discipled them, who led them to the Lord. He says in verse 11, O Corinthians, we have spoken openly to you and our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted by your own in affections. Uh, and now in return for the same, I speak as the children, you also be open. That is, be open to me. Listen to what I have to say. I, I should have a, a hearing before you. Uh, and he says to them, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Uh, for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness and what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? And what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what argument has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God, as God has said, I will dwell with them and walk with them, and they, they, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord. Uh, do not touch the, what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Verse 1 of chapter 7. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and the spirit perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So this is a great passage that we know of, uh, but does it only apply to pagan temples? Uh, that is, uh, this is there's, there's five points he makes here. He gives a command in verse 14, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. What does that mean? Well, we know that it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that we don't ever talk to unsafe people or don't have anything to do with them. We don't isolate ourselves. Why? Because Paul says, look, how would, if you did that, you wouldn't be able to witness to anybody of the gospel. So, so there's categories I think we can understand and I want to talk about this in two weeks, but categories that help us understand how we relate to different types of people. And these categories help us to think theologically about how close we can, we can be with them. Now, you know, like a family member, whatever, you know, my brother is divorced, I, I, don't, um, I don't hate him and, and stuff. Uh, 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 I wrote an article once and then this uh, website, uh, asked faith if they could be printed so they did and and one of the somebody commented on it and i was talking about infant baptism which i am really pretty quite pointed about sometimes or whatever and and this guy wrote in there and says i know this author i met him in jamaica and he just doesn't like presbyterians he said that you know so later when i saw that this was later i said well you know my brother's another brother turned presbyterian and i don't hate him so, you know, it's not that I just hate Presbyterians. But, but so, so there's, you know, different levels of fellowship that I can have with him that, that uh, uh, beliefs matter in that. You know, I mean, you know, we have Christmas together. I mean, you know, it's nothing weird or anything. But, but anyway, Paul tells us in verse 14, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. And then he gives some reasons for that or some questions about that. For what partnership hath righteousness with lawlessness? What fellowship hath light with darkness? What accord hath Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? He's telling them, he's talking to a church, okay? 
And this church is tolerating all kinds of things. I mean, all kinds of things. And you can look in uh, 1 Corinthians to see some of that, you know, and, and it's pretty amazing. I mean, you know, you look at 1 Corinthians, it's just one problem after another after another. They're suing each other. They're tolerating immorality in the church. They're, they're uh, uh, you know, they're getting the Lord's Supper wrong, you know. They're not practicing it like, like they should. They're not, being, they're not being loving to each other so that if meat is sacrificed to an idol, uh, and some people have a problem with that, you know, they're, they're not uh, considering that person in their, in their um, uh, um, and how they um, treat that person. I, I don't care if he's offended by this or not, I'm doing it. Hey, I've got liberty, so I can, you know. And so they're just, just acting quite wrongly. And here he, so he's talking to them as a church and what you tolerate, what you allow. And certain things, certain things are very key and precious. And, and uh, uh, that yoke that you're talking about, I found a picture somewhere and I can't know where it is now, but it was a, a, a yoke, you know, with the oxen and stuff, you know, with a wooden thing that, that goes around their necks. And it was an ox uh, yoked with a donkey. And obviously that wasn't gonna work because uh, the donkey was gonna probably get dragged around and the ox would probably have the yoke go this way because the other guy wasn't pulling, the, the donkey wasn't pulling the same weight so it would probably be uh, injurious to him. So anyway, what are we, or better to say, who are we yoked with, you know? And so if, if uh, and I, you know, these are just things that are from our history that are important for us to remember because it affects our present sometimes. It, it probably isn't uh, the case that we have loads and loads of people knocking on the door saying, hey, I want to preach liberal theology in your church. But, you know, there are other ways that this could be a problem, and, and it's good for us to be reminded about. But who, who is help? Who are you allowing to help pull the yoke? And, and uh, we need to be very, very concerned about this, as, as uh, Paul is saying here. So uh, it doesn't just apply to, to um, unbelievers. And there's other scriptures, especially next week, we're gonna look at some other um, scriptures in regards to this, of how this um, matters in, in our lives. And, uh, and I give the illustration, does it only apply, people would ask, does it only apply to pagan temples? You know, is it very, very limited to what Paul is saying here? And I thought, oh wow, because I've been to a lot of pagan temples in India and that is just fascinating. And, and we, even with my wife there, watching how devoted those people are to the many, many gods that they have is, is first of all, quite alarming to watch that, but also quite shaming or, or condemning to us because we think, well, look at all of the uh, sacrifice and, and devotion they have uh, to something that's not real. And, and I mean, all the myriads of gods that they have there, and you know, you just kind of pick one that you're sort of focused on, but, but there's a whole lot out of there. I mean, you know, so uh, it's not just talking about that, but, uh, but about yoking yourselves together, some sort of organized religious endeavor. Now you might say, well, my doctor isn't saved. Is it okay if I go to my doctor? Yeah, I mean, we're not talking about that. We're, we're not talking about that. We're talking about a, in, a, in a churchly setting here, ecclesiastical, where are we uh, allowing ourselves to, to uh, share fellowship with, particularly this, this, the, the closest fellowship 
uh, of, a, of a, a believer with another believer. And, and of course, if we allowed some, uh, some unorthodox person to speak or to, to, to even have a leadership role or to uh, preach a, a series, <laughs> and I hope I'm not that one, but, but preach a series in church, we, we, we would say, uh, you know, we're somehow endorsing that person in some way by letting them have, have uh, uh, a say or have influence in the church. And, and that's something that needs to be protected. Scripture is clear that uh, uh, doctrine is important and doctrine is fragile. And I, I think I might have said that last week too. But doctrine is fragile in the sense that it's, it can be perverted. In fact, it's easily perverted when you think about it. You know, you just think, oh, you gotta just twist a little thing. Sometimes you have to emphasize something that isn't wrong necessarily, but when you emphasize it so much, it distorts the gospel message. And, um, and we have to be careful about that. So uh, some people, uh, again, want to limit this text to just, to just uh, the first century, but I don't think so, especially when you're looking at the context in which Paul is writing this. Nothing in this text limits it. And uh, the intended application, as we'll see with uh, other parts of the scripture, can say we need to be careful, um, uh, not just of the saved, but, but uh, the religious, what you could say, the religious non-conservative, probably one of the most difficult persons to win for the gospel. I'm not kidding, because you know what? They know everything you're gonna say. And they also have answers for it too that make you stop and think. But, but it's really a mindset of, I'm not going to believe that. You believe myths, you believe things that don't happen. I mean, when do you see someone rise from the dead? Or when do you, have you seen, I mean, there's, it's not uh, something that, that uh, happens all the time. And so you can't prove that it happened. There are um, uh, other working relationships that, that we would be, uh, want to be careful about and uh, ecumenical evangelism or things like that. And, and ecumenism, uh, and I wanna say this carefully, I'm a, you know, I'm a former missionary, but uh, uh, a lot of bad things in history has happened in, in even with good motives uh, through missions. And a lot, like in the Baptist denomination I was talking about in the 1920s, they found out that a lot of their missionaries you know, on the other side of the world, and of course you're thinking in the 1920s, communication's a lot different back then. I mean, you get a letter every three months, maybe, if, if the boat didn't sink or whatever, you know, going down the river to deliver the mail to the capital city that would take it on to, to a steamer to the United States or whatever. And maybe some of the times that three months was because it took three months to get there. So, so um, communication is not the same and people were, were teaching false doctrine and even denying things. Well, there's an example of a man in the denomination that was called before uh, a council to interview him to see whether he indeed taught false doctrine. And, uh, and they concluded that he was a sound man. And you know who was the most surprised person by that? The very person they interviewed. He says, I told them I didn't believe that. And they said, I was sound, what in the world? I, I, that's fine with me, I'm going back to the mission field. But, but he was shocked by that because he told them, no, I don't believe in the deity of Christ. I don't believe in this, I don't believe in that. And uh, so missions, have, in fact, the ecumenical movement itself happened from, from missionaries getting together uh, first uh, uh, in 1910 in Edinburgh 
to to launch this this world missionary move or world ecumenical movement. Hey, let's just get together and and actually many of those were really fairly conservative, but they didn't stay there that way very long. Particularly when if you're going to get together and and share the gospel, there's a lot of things you can't talk about. And interestingly enough, baptism is one of them. Why? Because it's too uh, uh, controversial with all these different uh, uh, denominations. Actually, some denominations think that saves you. Well, that's a gospel issue, so it is important. So, anyway, not to, I'm not casting any uh, aspersions on missions by any means, but I'm just saying that, that in history that, that uh, resulted sometimes, because they weren't watchful of it, in a wrong pulling together, a wrong yoking together. So other uh, applications this applies to, yes, marriage is one of them, and that's not a, a, a pulling together, a yoking that, that would be uh, tolerable at all, and, and, and we wouldn't want that. Why? Because that's a really, really, really close relationship. And uh, uh, that wouldn't be right. Um, so uh, uh, I, there's a little bit more I can say, but I think I'm going to, to skip that. But just to say the biblical principle here is that believers must never, be, must never entangle themselves in an organized, compromising, religious, working relationship with those who do not believe. And, uh, and, and it goes... There's, there's even further um, levels to this, and we'll, we'll talk about that more next week. But, but we need to be careful about that. Well, why would, how would we ever, why would we ever do this? Sometimes it happens, most of the time it happens because we don't realize it. Or, oh, I know so-and-so, he's a great person. Man, great speaker, really motivating. Wow, that'd be good. And maybe you do know him, or, uh, you know, some friend of a friend or a friend or whatever. But, but, but uh, we have to be uh, careful about that because those are the kind of things that can result in, in difficult um, uh, yokings, different uh, relationships there. A lot, many of the mainline denominations uh, are thoroughly liberal right now. Uh, United, uh, United Methodist Church, American Baptist Church, uh, uh, ELCA and the Lutheran Church, Presbyterian Church of the United States, even parts of the, the SBC have liberalism that they can't get rid of. And uh, World Council of Churches, those kinds of things, these are pretty cut and dry issues, I realize, but, but those are ones that uh, National Council of Churches, Baptist World Alliance, those are, those are full of, of liberals, and we should just be aware of it. We shouldn't be naive to say, it, it's kind of like it's kind of like our our children you know we don't tell you know don't believe everything that someone tells you don't trust strangers you know don't talk to strangers that kind of stuff we're just trying to build uh protections into them because i think oh hey well he, he gave me candy how bad can it be that's the only thing that matters right so so uh, we have to be careful and and aware of of individuals like that so uh I think that's all I'll say for this time, but but because um, I just don't want to um, uh, bleed into what I'm going to say next week, so I'll just close this part in prayer. Father, we just praise you for your word and your strong word and your enduring word, and even some of the uh, difficult lessons that the Corinthian church needed to to respond positively positively to to Paul. Uh, and we thank you for that. Thank you that you are the God that we can serve and that we trust. And the Bible that you gave us uh, is, is all that it purports to be. We're so grateful for that in Jesus' name. Amen.